Now then, welcome to the Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where we catch up on films that we've never seen before at this point in our lives. I'm Sam Turner, and this is my consigliere, Chris Jenkins. Upgrade. Would you like to just say a few words about yourself? Maybe a couple of your fears? Yeah. Now then, I'm Chris. Um, fears, worst fear. There was someone on Big Brother who said that his worst fear was madness. I'll always remember that. David Bowie also had that fear. Who was the Big Brother contestant? Um, it was um. I might guy have who... with him. No, it wasn't him. What's that guy's name? I think he uh, listens. Hi, Scott. Scott Turner. Hi, Hi Scott. Scott. Um, no, um, a guy who was really into sports, I think his name was Dean. Right, okay. My fears are a bit more simple, um, violence, Mm -hmm. raised, raised voices, confrontation, isolation. Hmm. Depression. Yeah, let's, let's keep fear, it. Yeah, let's keep it light. Um, a fear, a fear of those things. Yeah. Each week we watch a film that is new to us, starting from the year we were born, and running chronologically through to the present day. Before the recording, neither of us know what each other thinks of the film, and this episode is episode nine of the midlife film catch up, and we have arrived at the year nineteen ninety one. So Big 1991, um, exciting times, you know, yeah. Germany is unified, the dust has settled right. after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you've, 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 you've wrung that one out. You've gone, you've gone from three weeks ago, it was approaching the fall of the Berlin Wall, last week it was the fall, and now you've scraping the barrel you're saying the dust is settling yeah how long do you think it takes it took the dust to settle after knocking that wall down um uh, two years for for all the dust to die down well i was i was talking about metaphorical dust yeah we bought a hoover physical dust i'd say you know probably a matter of days I think that's ambitious. What were you going to say about your Hoover? We bought Hoover because of I was getting allergies because of all the dust in our house, and we bought a, a Hoover that is so good. It's got a brush on the bottom. Have you seen these? Um, and the brush, the brush actually kicks up loads of dust when you're hoovering. So it, you see all the dust it sucks up an incredible amount of dust. You're emptying it into your bin thinking, I can't believe there's this much dust in the house. Mm-hmm. But that brush action creates dust. And then for about three days afterwards, my allergies are even worse because the dust, it takes three days for the dust in the house to settle. Does the brush move? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like rotates? Oh, oh yeah. 
Um, and how often are you hoovering? Once a month. Mm. I would do it every week, but I get three days of allergies after hoovering. Yeah, but you'd have less. You'd be if you're doing it once a week, you'd, there'd be less dust accumulated, wouldn't there? Um, I mean, the Berlin Wall was outdoors, so it takes three days for dust to settle in my house. Yeah, it, that, right, that's, right. That, that that's that's a locked off environment indoors. Yeah. No, I mean it's an interesting subject that we you know we should probably devote an episode to at some point. But um, for now, let's focus on the film. By Gus Van Sant, my own private Idaho. While you eat a, th- mu- a muffin, is that a muffin that you're eating? Um, cupcake. Cupcake. It's right. the end of Ramadan. Um, sorry, sorry. I sh- uh, my neighbour gave it to me for Eid. Okay, nice. Eid Mubarak. Eid Mubarak. My Own Private Idaho is a film about two street hustlers from Portland. Mike, played by River Phoenix, and Scott, played by Keanu Reeves. The two the two street hustlers, um, one is very much a um, privileged young man. Um, Scott, played by Reeves, is the son of the mayor. And um, the other is comes from less grand back, uh, a less grand background. Um, mm. Mike River Phoenix, um, Under, understatement. Yeah, and the story is of Mike trying to track down his estranged mother, and Reeves perhaps trying to escape his past. We see the duo go from Portland to Idaho, to Rome, back to Portland again. It's a avant-garde film. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah. Before the guard, in front of the guard, yeah. Avant. Avant-garde, avant-garde a clue. Very good, very good. It's Ringo Starr's joke. Is it? Mm-hmm. Um, quick, quick thoughts. Would you recommend this film to the beast off the chase? Why are we bringing the beast into this? I just thought we've, 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 we've run Michael Owen dry. Right. Okay. But the beast, we don't, we don't know what the beast's preferences are or, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing he's got a pretty good based knowledge of cinema and he's, he's seen quite a lot of films. Hmm. Whereas, you know, Michael Owen is well documented that he's only seen okay. four films. Right. The Vixen. Similar to The Beast, I'd say. Anne Hegarty from The Chase. Is that not... Is that not The Vixen? No. Uh, I'm quite unfamiliar with the different chases, to be honest. The cinema... Um, 
Paul Sinner, man. Paul Sinner. Uh, t- you know what? I think I'd recommend this film to all of the... Are they the chasers or are they... Yeah. Is that the contestants? They're the chasers. Yeah, I think I'd recommend my own personal private... I keep saying personal. My own private Idaho to each one of the chasers. Um, so cards on the table. I watched this film and it's not a long film. I've had a busy week. Um, so I've had to watch this film in three separate sittings. Okay. Which uh, I'll be the first to admit that's not the ideal way to consume a film. It's dis- it's disrespectful to the filmmaker. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, it depends what three sections you divided them into because this film is something of a a very loose trip trip pitch. Trip pitch. Yeah, and it's not. Um, not not explicitly chaptered, but you know there are. It is very distinct three parts because it um, separates the parts by the locations that I mentioned just then. Um, yeah. Portland, Rome, start- or Italy, and then Idaho. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the well, style no, of each, and the style of each one is different. Talk to me about the style of each one. First section, naturalistic dialogue, Portland. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say it's always, it's divided by location. I'd say first section's naturalistic, Portland. Second section's still in Portland, but they start speaking in Shakespearean language, mm-hmm. which has been modernised. And then the third section, back to naturalistic dialogue, taking place in Idaho, Italy and Idaho. So I think that I watched it, I probably, the first pause was midway through the Shakespearean section. The middle section was kind of mostly Shakespearean and then the end section was mostly natural. So you were were all over the shop, really? Yeah. Yeah. But you had a busy, busy week? But I had a busy week, yeah. Tell me, did you watch it all in one one sitting? Forty eight hour rental. Yeah, yeah. I watched an hour of it as soon as I rented it, mm-hmm. and you'll never believe what happened next. Uh, I, uh, no, go on. I can't. I can't. I can't even begin to imagine what happened next. I I watched the remaining length of the film to the minute to the the minute that it was gonna my rental was gonna end and and that wasn't on purpose imagine if it was like um a thriller like heat or um speed that would be exciting wouldn't it it felt like that it felt like speed do you think you were channeling the um spirit of reeves because you're watching a film with him in I know. I, I felt I was like more like Sandra Bullock, just like clinging to a steering wheel, not letting go for dear life. Mm-hmm. White knuckle ride. How did that affect your enjoyment of the film? It didn't affect my enjoyment of it. I still enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think in some ways, the sort of bite-sized chunks of the film that I took, maybe heightened my enjoyment of the film did it 
do you think well, you'd like to watch all films in that way? Um, I think no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to commit to that. But I think sometimes you sit down to a film, especially in our in our situation. You know, we're watching these films in a professional capacity. Yeah, as, um, as reviewers, as reviewers, and kind of um, cultural arbiters of film, arbiters of his, arbiter, film history, arbiters of culture, or cultural arbiters of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? I, I don't know. Oh, uh, so sometimes, G- yeah, sometimes, GCSE, sometimes GCSE, you, um, <laughs> sometimes you sit down to a film and you're thinking 110 minutes. Is this 110 minutes? 120 minutes? Um, I just need to. Someone just came in your bedroom. That's okay. Oh, it's 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 Claire. It's Claire. Okay, um, and maybe maybe you're not entirely comfortable with that amount of time, that time span laying ahead of you. Whereas I knew, right? I'm going to watch 45 minutes now. I'm going to watch half an hour now. I'm going to watch 45 minutes now, and. I'm just going to, that's the situation I'm in. I'm just going to enjoy it. And I think especially, if I'm honest, some of the Shakespearean, I found the Shakespearean bit a little bit more difficult. It was kind of, it wasn't as uh, enjoyable. Oh, it wasn't, no, it was enjoyable, but in a different way to the other, the bookend, the other bookends. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed I felt like it was picking up once the Shakespearean stuff start, started. Um did you do a synopsis? Um yeah, but it probably wasn't to your um didn't pro- probably didn't reach your standards really. Because it didn't really go into the story. Okay. No, it did go into the story, but you know, you I I guess it I mean, come I, up. I've no you have you know, you haven't usually you'd sort of pass comment, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Normally, I'd say something. What, what do you feel like I haven't covered in my, the synopsis? Have you said that they're street street hustlers? I call them street hustlers, where and that's and that's where that's how they're described everywhere. So they're the the turning tricks, the Male sex sex, sex workers. workers. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you said the director? A number of times, yeah. Okay, sorry. Let me ask you this. Um, oh, sorry, go yeah. on. Is there anything else that I should be covering in the synopsis? No, go on. So, I mean, by the sounds of it, I have covered everything that you want me to cover in the, in the synopsis. Oh, well, um, well, I mean, don't leave, don't leave the listeners in the dark, you know. Of course not. And I, no. I think we'll cover more of the stories okay. as we get into it. More of the story as we get into it. Well, it's okay. interesting that I say stories, Chris, because... Uh, this film was made using uh, William Burroughs' cut-up technique, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so the source material was uh, Shakespeare's Henry the Fourth, as we've alluded to. Yeah, um, and bits of Henry the Fifth. Bits of Henry the Fifth. Gus Van Sant intended for this to be three different films, mm. and he couldn't finish the script for each of these three films. And then he just decided to combine them into one film. Mm-hmm. 
it was written yeah as you say experimentally he wanted to make this as his first feature film or second feature film but none of the studios would go near it because it dealt with drugs and and male sex workers lgbt uh and um and yeah so he made drugstore cowboy i think as his second feature and then and then this Malanocchio was his first one, wasn't it? Of course. Yeah. And he was going to make this film with, with the actors being played by real hustlers on the street. Uh, but then Keanu? Keanu Reeves, yeah. Keanu, no, Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Reeves got involved and then um, Keanu Reeves persuaded River Phoenix to take part because river phoenix's agent wouldn't show him the script because he didn't want him to do it both actors at this point were considered kind of pinups they were the the heartthrobs of the era this was a what would be seen as a kind of seedy tale of um street hustlers um but keno's like listen if if that agent is going isn't going to show river the um, scripts. I'm going to get on my motorcycle. I'm going to ride from my home in Canada to the Phoenix family ranch in Florida. Yeah. Knock on a door and say, "Listen, hi, Joaquin, is uh, your brother home?" Yeah, yeah, because like they're they're brothers. Um, yeah. And Joaquin would be like, "Well, I'm an actor as well." Yeah. And Reeves would well, say, that- well, "I haven't got time for this." Yeah. Um. And then maybe River would think what's going on, what's going on at the front door. And then he'd come to the yeah. front door and then he'd say, what's that in your hand? Keanu. Yeah. Um, I really liked Bill and Ted's excellent, excellent. adventure. Um, and I'm looking forward to the bogus journey. Um, was that released the following year, ninety two? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was in the pipe. Maybe in the pipeline. So probably about thirty percent of what you've just said is hypothetical, but seventy percent happened. Mm. Keanu did drive from Canada to Florida on his motorbike to deliver the script to River. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two great names, two great actors. Yeah, one sad story, one. You know, story of success. Listen, quick thoughts. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, I, I, so I, um, I think there's films that you appreciate and there's films that you enjoy. I both enjoyed this film and I appreciated it. Okay. Where's this come from? Why are you saying that? <laughs> Why are you saying that? It's just, it's just something that I've been thinking I'm going to say. <laughs> Okay. Um, anything else apart from a soundbite? Um, I I really um, enjoyed lots of aspects about the film. Uh, I didn't know what to expect at all. I don't think going into it, I, um, Gus Van Sant had seen the film Elephant by him, and I think that's it. And that's very much a, a sort of a moody. Um, earnest film whereas this there's a lot of fun to it 
like we're saying, a lot of experimentation to it. Important themes. Yeah. Um, yeah, re- really, really liked it. Yeah, yeah, I liked it too. And as I say, my stepsister had it on VHS. Um, I put it in the tape player, press play. Um, this is, I would have been a teenager maybe. And, um, and the scene that came on pretty quickly was the sex scene between Kinu and the, the lady, the Italian lady. Uh-huh. Uh, the sex scene was portrayed in like a tableau style. So instead of their bodies moving, it was just lots of static shots of their bodies and different contortions. Uh, and they were both just stood there dead still. But it wasn't freeze frames. You could see they were moving slightly, but they were like tableau. And that bit came on. And um, and I stopped watching it. And I just thought that looks like a very art house film. And, an and interesting I interesting reaction as a as a teenager to see something like well, that. Well, it's not like, like seeing it now, it is erotic, but then it maybe wasn't what I was looking for. Mm. Um, and then I, so I, I switched it off and um, like. Found what you were looking for. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I didn't put the videotaping because I was looking for that. I just wanted to know what it was. Mm-hmm. And then going into this film now, I thought it was going to be really art house film, but it wasn't. It, it, no. it had, it had the, he'd taken like, um, Gus Van Sant had taken lots of different styles from lots of filmmaking techniques and put them together in a really fun uh, way that was full of yeah. joy, de vi- joy de vivre. Yeah, real, real joy, joy de vivre, wasn't there? And I think, yeah, maybe we we're misrepresenting the film by talking about experimentation and Shakespeare and all that because it's all hung together with a really compelling story, isn't it? It's a, yeah. some people describe it as a road movie. I'm not sure about that. Mm. A lot of talk about roads in it. There are roads in it, but I'd say this film is a rite of passage story. Read the passage. Read, read the passage and um, just, yeah, done in a really fun, inventive way. Um, I knew from the beginning that I was in for the ride because there was a shot of a uh, an empty road and then, and like, suddenly a barn just falls from the sky and smashes on the road in front of you. Totally unexpected. And I thought, this is fun. I like this. Well, that's there's a road, then he's getting filleted by a rotund gentleman, and then yeah. the barn crashes onto the road. Yeah, and there's also some flying fish jumping out the water. Cuts to that as well. What did you, what did you make of the the flying fish, the leaping salmon? Leaping salmon. I I, I just interpreted that as the individual semen sperm. Oh, really? They look like that to me. And then the barn crashing down, for me, so I imagine the Wizard of Oz, the barn flying off in the whirlwind, and um, Dorothy, this isn't Kansas anymore, or we're not in Kansas, and that's a film about 
being away from home and trying to get back home, but you can't go back home. And that is kind of what I thought that image of the crashing barn just summed up this film beautifully, like, um, uh, you know, gay people who can't go back to their families either because of discrimination or because of a really turbulent background like River Phoenix's character had. And so not just for them to not be able to go back home, but for the home to be completely smashed to smithereens and destroyed, dropping from mm. above. I thought that was really powerful. And obviously that comes at the same time as uh, him having sex with an, uh, with a man. And it like kind of just sums it up really, doesn't it? And, and Dorothy is a... Um, what do they say? Are you friends with Dorothy? That means, are you gay? Yeah. Are you a friend of Dorothy's? And is that a reference to the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, a friend of Dorothy. I think it used to be code for, Yeah. are you gay? Interesting. Uh, I'm very, I, I was talking about this this morning, actually. I'm very unfamiliar with the Wizard of Oz. Uh, I, I watched it. A couple of years ago, I've I've seen Wicked recently. Yeah, you've you've mentioned that. Um, and I was going to when we we watched the film when we watched the film um, uh, the Finnish film. I was, yeah, Shadows and Paradise. Say, I was going to say the phrase "We're not in Kansas anymore." Yeah, because that I thought that was a good representation of the fact that we'd seen two fairly straightforward films then we went to a quite a more art house film and I was going to say we're not in Kansas anymore but then you mentioned Wizard of Oz and that th- threw me off a bit so, th- so Wizard of Oz seems to come up a lot uh, yeah. in this in this podcast I think it's a big influence on many filmmakers I guess but mm. just going back to that barn thing that from then I knew it was a fun inventive film and just a hodgepodge of styles and it had such a great energy to it. It was so, it, it made me um, really enthused about, about going and making films. Like I, right. I, I you know, like I want to finish my short film. I want to make more videos with people and I want to be less, constrained by my own mind which says you got to do it properly and do it this way and that way and i just want to do things more freely mm. and inventively like this film was done but it, but i think it's important to have that um story structure to pin, yeah. to underpin these these things yeah and that's, that's, film, that's my this, advice to you thank you thank you and this film did have a good story um so yeah as we said Keanu Reeves how do you say it uh Keanu Keanu Reeves is um based on a Shakespearean character called Prince Hal mm. and that was based on a real historical prince Henry something who before he ascended the throne he preferred to keep the company of petty criminals and wastrels. Right, and okay. So Keanu Reeves' character is about to turn 21 and at 
age 21, he's going to inherit a huge fortune. Um, so before that, he's just hanging with street hustlers and he's a hustler, street hustler himself. He says that he only has sex for money, not for love. And he's very rebellious. And then his best friend is River Phoenix. And I, I loved, I loved the ending to this film. I loved it. So, yeah, and then another important character in the film is um, Bob Pigeon. Bob Pigeon, who is uh, apparently um, based on Flagstaff, Flag Falstaff, Falstaff, um, from one of uh, from Shake from the from the Shakespeare universe. And Falstaff was a kind of magwitch character, an oh, older Mac. Is it Magwitch? No, not Magwitch. Who's Magwitch is the criminal from Great Expert. Who's the who's the head of the pickpockets? Um in, Fagan. In Fagan. He's kind of a Fagan character mm. who keeps the company of younger wastrels and he's the older, supposedly wizened one. But he's very silly um and a bit of an and an idiot in his own right. Um and he was and him and re- Kinu have had a some sort of relationship in the past, but Kinu point paints that as a kind of unrequited love that um, Bob had for him, but he didn't return. Yeah, but he also a- but he also hints that that Bob Pigeon was his first true love, like maybe mm. he lost his virginity to him and and. He was more of a father to him than his real father. He says that. Mm-hmm. And then there's more unrequited love in a, a an amazing scene when Kinu and uh, well Mike and we'll call him Mike and Scott. Mike and Scott are going to towards Idaho uh, on a motorbike. Uh, they pitch up, have a campfire, and um, Mike confesses his love for Scott, and Scott says that. Um, Men can't love men. Guys can't love guys. So that scene was written by River Phoenix. Did you know that? Yeah, so Gus Van Sant wanted it one way where it was just a sort of, it was almost like incidental. You know, it was just a kind of way to move on the narrative, whereas River Phoenix saw it as an important part of the film and they can make a lot more of it. And it kind of spoke to, the vulnerability of his character and it's also like spoke to the the times that the film was made in where a lot of homophobia around still yeah um, the, the 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 it was the whole film in the end hinged on that middle scene because up to that point they just they never outwardly say they're gay and they they love other men um, they just say that they have sex for money, the hustlers. And in that scene, River Phoenix proclaims his love for Kino mm-hmm. in, in a really, really understated, vulnerable way. Mm-hmm. That seems quite true. Like when you're trying to express your feelings for someone and you don't know how it's going to be reciproc- received. And, yeah, and Kino's response is like, "I I only have sex for money." Mm. Did, did you say? 
Did you say he says men can't love other men? Yeah. Kino says, says that. that. Yeah, yeah. And this happens, I can't remember if it happens before or after the scene where they go to see um, River Phoenix's brother in the caravan. Mm. Can you remember what, the sequence? Yeah. I think it... I think it happens. I think the caravan happens just before that, maybe. And um, we find out that River's brother is also his dad. Yeah, that was quite heartbreaking. Yeah, that's quite really. I think there's a harsh. you know there's there's a way of um, describing this film, and it, and it could sound relentlessly bleak. Like there's yeah. there's like River Phoenix's character is just. There's really not a lot of light there. It's very hopeless, but the turn of the film's not like that at all, is it? I mean, it's very sad. You know, the ending is very sad, and um, but overall, it's not. It's not a sad film. And like, Keanu Reeves' character could also sound very cold-hearted, like the way that he talks about his relationship with Bob Pigeon. The way that he um, rebuffs River Phoenix's um, advances, um, but he, he's he's not a character without redemption. You know, he he saves. He he, he kind of looks after River early on. They've got a very they've got a really sort of nice friendship, haven't they? Like a a deep friendship. Um, but then I suppose that makes the ending even more powerful. The way that. So that so the so this film's got so many really memorable scenes. And I think one of the, one of those is the the bit where Bob Pigeon goes into the restaurant at the end. Are we gonna Are we gonna do Are we gonna talk about the ending of this film? Um, well, we've, we I always mean, we've do. Never shied don't away we? from. We've never, we've shied, never away shied away from, from that. So I'm gonna say something here, uh, Sam. Um, I've heard it on other podcasts. Spoiler alert. Oh yeah, good yeah. Yeah. Carry on. Okay. Um, so well, they... Go I've got to preface that restaurant scene by saying that Kinu's character disappears during the third part of the film for a, for a while, doesn't he? And he's not with them on the street anymore. So I'll preface it by saying, so to River and Kinu go to Italy in search of River's mum. And Kinu meets an uh, Italian lady who he likes the yeah. look of. Yeah. Classic, classic Kinu. And they have a tableau sex scene, which... And they have that tableau sex scene that he talks about that you didn't find erotic as a teenager. Yeah, and so so Kinu falls in love with the Italian lady. Um, never mind the dogs. Don't worry, don't worry about. Never mind the dogs. Um, and then he, he they go they go off together, leaving River on his own. River returns to Portland, uh, starts hanging around with uh, Bob Pigeon and the gang again. Um, and just on that, on the on the community of hustlers, that that's that's also a really nice kind of community isn't there and there's that, there's that yeah. brilliant scene in the diner where they're all telling like quite harrowing stories or stories about their experiences on the streets and 
as sex workers. Um, but they're all kind of looking out for each other in a way, even though uh, well, Kino it's a, and... It, it's their family, isn't it? That, that's how it's referred to in L- LGBT culture, right. isn't it? Like the, the, your real family are, are, mm-hmm. the, are the ones that you form after you've left your biological family. Yeah. So then we're back in Portland and then Bob and um, the gang. Oh, we haven't mentioned Bob's uh, right-hand man. Talk to me. Bassist. Bassist for one of the uh, greatest greatest, uh, funk rock bands ever to come out of California. um, Nat. Uh, Flea. 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 So I've seen um, Flea. What else is Flea in? What else has Flea acted in? Point Break. Yes, with Keanu. Yeah. Right. Okay. Flea was good in this film. Yeah, yeah. When he was, uh, he was, he had the guns in his hand, didn't he? And he was, he was, you know, playing the daft, playing, for, playing it for daft laughs, wasn't he? Daft laughs. Let Let's stay on track. Um, and then. The gang see Kinu is suited and booted. He's got his twenty-first birthday inheritance. He's got um, the Italian woman on his arm, and he goes into a posh restaurant. And this scene reminded me of. Do you remember? The, did you ever watch the Mitchell and Webb look, the sketch show that Mitchell and Webb did? I know, but I've seen lots of clips from it on YouTube. There's a character called um, Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. Do you remember him? No. And it's like a drunken homeless person going on missions and taking his missions very seriously, but you can sort of see it from his point of view and then you can see it from the kind of straight Wales point of view. And this is mm-hmm. kind of like um that same clash of uh, a drunk person's viewpoint and the you know, the 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 world that Keanu is now in. Who? Um, Keenu, sorry, Keenu is now in. Yeah. So he, so, well, so Bob goes into the restaurant and then um, says to Keenu, "Hey Keenu, um, hmm. remember me? Let's let's get back let's get back together like old times." And Keenu just uh, pies him, pies him off. Doesn't even turn around to look at him. Doesn't even turn around to look at him. Delivers a speech and said, "Yes, I was with you then." And now I'm with these people. And while we had good times, that part of me is over. And I'm with these people now. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. Yeah. But that is... Yeah. It just... There's other films like... There's other films like this... um, that kind of have you you've seen you've seen blue is the warmest color yes yeah another a lesbian film and have you seen a portrait of a woman on fire yeah yeah the, the, these three three films are not only are they queer films they each have that bit at the end where the relationship has parted, has ended, and then one of them sees the other one, and the other one has moved on in life. 
Mm. It's and it's, it gives you this real like strong feeling, like so. Portrait of a woman on fire. Gone the separate ways. Then years later, she goes into some sort of music venue and sees her previous love delivering this piano recital. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's like a real, yeah, it's like a real emotional moment. Blue is the warmest color. She goes and sees the other one's gallery um, preview. The other one's getting ahead in the art world. This one, Keanu's getting ahead in his corporate lifestyle, and and in each of these films, like there's a total like gulf between this, and it makes the it makes the kind of the breakup even like more even harder, even more bittersweet that the other one's gone on mm-hmm. to supposedly bigger and better things, and it and it, it um... and it gives me a real I don't know it's something about it really. Um, about each of those three films, that that moment really makes me really sad. Mm. Would you say, Chris, reason. that it pronounces the alienation? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I think it pronounces and, and I the don't alienation. Know, I don't know what it is that. Um, I don't know why that is because there must be that story arc in straight films as well. But something about these three films where that hits really hard. Well, is it something to do with the fact that they've had this relationship where it's very intense and it's very much because of the nature of the relationship, it's kind of seen as outside of society. So that that makes it even more intense, which means that when is that when one of them goes into the into society uh, it's even more lonely yeah. out, outside of society when you haven't got that that intense partner yeah i think that's a real that that's it that's a really good point and i know and in those films also one of them's like the more experienced and schools the other one mm. and then that experienced person kind of d- ditches them in a way there's that as well but yeah but it's exactly what you said as well and then um, someone nicks his bloody shoes and then at the very end someone nicks his shoes yeah which is just rub salt in the wound but um i thought that scene where they go to river phoenix's brother's trailer mm. and you find out that so does that mean he was never his brother and it was his dad pretending to be his brother or does that mean they were brothers? Like they both came from that mum but then his older brother also had sex with his mum and that was River Phoenix. Yeah, I took it as the the incest the angle. Yeah. Me too, me too. It was really tough seeing that like his older brother was really aggressive and horrible yeah and... I kind of got the impression that he was maybe a, like sexually abused by his brother really he was his, yeah, was his dad probably yeah and River Phoenix's character has narcolepsy we haven't mentioned we... a narcolepsy yeah 
Yeah, and you know his brother's reaction to him having a an episode is like really horrible as well. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not understanding of it, and he he's really horrible about it. But um, yeah. I thought that was like so. Apparently, River Phoenix got like loads of praise for this role, and you can mm. see why because he's brilliant yeah. in it. And um, I think. Um, I think um, Kino and River were given a book to read by Gus Van Sant. And he said, the film is largely based on these sorts of characters. Please read this book. City Kinu, of Night by John Reckie. Yeah. Kino read it and did loads of research. River read a paragraph of it, didn't read any more of it. And they, someone said he didn't need to do that because he was, he was this nomadic street kid that's how he grew up traveling around the states with his with his with his mum and brother and sisters and sisters sorry and and i don't know if there, if there was a father i haven't done enough research but um he uh he he was this uh he, he was that kind of rootless person in real life in some respects so it was really true to life. Uh, I'll say what we ha- what we haven't covered. Um, Hans. Udo, Hans. Udo Kia. Udo Kia. Yeah. What? What a tour de force. Everyone, pause the podcast and Google Udo Kia. Just because when you see his face, you're you're like, oh, it's him. Mm-hmm. But you won't know his name necessarily. So he apparently he was like a cabaret. He he had a career as a cabaret star in Berlin before mm-hmm. he was an actor. Yeah, and the song that he performs for the for the lads in the hotel room is one of his actual compositions in his cabaret days. Yeah, and uh, it's a hilarious song, and it's made even more hilarious with the dance routine in which he holds uh, a large hotel lamp. For the mm-hmm. for the duration, um, yeah, terrible song, terrible dance, but it was meant to be. Yeah, I guess it was great. Yeah, yeah. very German. Let's say that much. Mm-hmm. Very German. Do you think this was uh, Uda Kier, Kier maybe sort of celebrating the reunification? I think that could be could be a stretch. Could be a stretch. Maybe. Yeah, could say that. Could there's a theory there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I've got a new um I've got a new um platform point. Go on. Is that what you call them? Plat feature? Yeah. I've got a new feature. Yeah. Um main takeaways. What are your main takeaways from my own private Idaho? Main takeaway, main takeaway number one, for starter, Mm -hmm. can I say that for starter? Main takeaway, starter, I'll have the barn falling from the sky, please. And what, and what's your takeaway from that? Yeah, I'll have, I'll have that, I'll have the barn falling from the sky, please. Okay. If you've got, if that's available. Um... Number two. 
I'll okay. have the. I'll have, I'll have the Shakespearean, please. I'll have the Shakespearean middle section because. That's when, um, you know, you know, my worst fear is me- meandering madcap hijinks capers. I thought and it was madness. No, I thought it was. Oh, in was cinema. It bangs? It, no, oh. in cinema. In cinema. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and this film, when it started going Shakespearean, it started getting going. And also, I want to mention the the two slices of documentary that happen in the first section where real life street hustlers talk to the camera about their experiences of it. Mm-hmm. Thought, and it was just like a little mini documentary within the film. Do you remember mm. that? Yeah, yeah. And for my main course, number three, I will have the sad emotional arc of this film but also really true to life, bittersweet thing of people moving on from other people in life. Sprinkled with the amazing performance of uh, River Phoenix. Please. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good, that's a good takeaway. I think. Yeah. What, 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 what were your three main takeaways? Um, I think my three main takeaways where story, you can't beat a good story. Yes. Um, a second one is um, some films you appreciate, some films you enjoy. But for this one, I both yeah, you enjoyed said, it. And the... You said this. Oh. And um Sorry, you can say it again. I'm not I enjoyed and appreciated this film. Great. Yeah. It's the it's what I call the Holy Trinity. What what's that? Well what I enjoyed it? it and I appreciated it. Um and the third thing is that's good. The Trinity has to be three things. Yeah, that's the three things. It appreciated, enjoyed, that's good. That's good. This the third the third one. Mm-hmm. All right, good. And um, the, but I think and, overall, my um, main takeaway is Vans. So this is this is a good one. This is a good takeaway, if I may say so. It's funny how little things seep into your subconscious and gives you a prejudice about things or people. Mm-hmm. So I think what has happened with me and Gus Van Sant is that I'd seen Elephant and I wasn't. I didn't get on board with Elephant. I'd heard about um, his project where he recreated Psycho shot by shot, and that was widely derided. And I've thought to myself, Gus, I don't like Gus Van Sant. Going okay. into the film, I thought, I'm probably not going to like this film. Yeah. So, um, And it, this has made me think... This has made me ensure that I question myself when I have those prejudices. I think I went through life aged about 20 to 28, um, internalizing a lot of the um, attitudes of Nolan Lee and Gallagher. 
Yeah. Until I started thinking, well, maybe those aren't the right attitudes. Which um, one are you more like, Noel or Liam? Um, I would. I don't want to answer that. Okay. I mean, Gus Van Sant. I I know where you're coming from. Like, just that name. Think about his name, Van Sant. Like. A double barrel sort of almost aristocratic surname. What about Stevie Gus Van Sant? Okay, yeah. Isn't that spelled DT at the end? Uh, yes, and Z yeah. as well. Yeah, but just Gus Van Sant, it's something about that name. It's like a catch-all for anything art house. Right. And that I think that subconsciously made you not like him. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and I think that's probably where I I don't have any experience. I've seen two films, To Die For and a skateboarding one called Paranoid Park. I don't know anything about him. Um, what were your experiences of those other two films? Just okay, just okay, right. really. But from I really I really love this film, and it sounds like he's a director who doesn't have a particular style and well he did milk as well didn't he does everything yeah he did milk i haven't seen it no Uh, Mm. and he went to university with um david byrne of the talking heads right okay and his most famous film which i haven't seen was goodwill hunting Mm. oh i have seen that sorry yeah i've seen that and uh I'm not ashamed to say that I enjoyed it at the time. Yeah. So, um, so that's what, takeaways. What was your third takeaway in a nutshell? Uh, it's just that sort of ramble about uh, Gus Van Sant and prejudices and subconscious internalization. But you enjoyed this. No biggie. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've just remembered another brilliant film called Happy Together by Wong Kar Wai again, about a gay relationship that is on-off, 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 and then go go their separate ways and seems to be a stronger rite of passage combined with love stories theme going on in there. And I I, I liked it. Mm. I like it. I'd, I'd recommend people to watch that as well. It's really good. So tell me that title again. Happy Together. As in the song by the Turtles? Uh, which reminds me, someone wrote in this week to ask um, a young man called Tom Thomas yeah. from Liverpool asked, um, was the title of this film a reference to the song by um, the B-52s, Private Idaho? Right, okay. What and um, I can answer that by saying yes, it was. Oh, great, great Thanks question! Thanks for writing in, Tom. I mean, this we is we appreciate it. We do. I mean, this is the week. I mean, I did want to ask: Is a writings now a feature of this podcast? And at what point do they happen? Because this week is the week that the writings exploded. Really? Isn't oh, really? It? Well, yeah. Uh, so we had. Tom, right in mm-hmm. to ask a question. 
Thanks, Tom. Thank you. And I'm glad that we had we've got the researchers that can help answer any questions you have. And uh, so we had Tom. We had a write-in from a young man called Liam. Okay, return, return righty. Re- yeah, he said, last week I said I don't watch the output of Impressionists. Liam wrote in and said, Steve Coogan, Impressionist extraordinaire. You're cashing statement checks you can't... I think he meant to say you're writing. You're writing statement checks you can't cash in this episode, and I'm only five minutes in. To be fair, he's done you there, hasn't he? He has. I'd say a main feature of this podcast is that we write checks we can't cash very frequently. You you banged you banged to rights there, aren't you? I'm banged to rights on that. You've got me hook, line, and sinker over that. And please do, Liam. if 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 this podcast is about anything, it's about us being held to account. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is that what this That's- is about? If it's about anything. Say it again. What is it? If this podcast is about anything, it's about us being being held to account. Yeah. That that that's what this is about, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. why we started this. Yeah. So thanks for that. For Liam, everything? Uh, for for everything we've done in life? Thanks for everything. Thanks, Liam, for everything we've done in life. No, is that are we being held to account for everything we've done in life? That's that's what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, the midlife, the midlife film catch up, um, and mean, we also skeletons. Go on. We also had um, a young young man called Joe writing. Um, yeah, but we can't really go into. We can't really go into what he said. Young man Joe wrote in. To, I said, I said, Joe, can you? You've got a story about an adjustable spanner. Can you get back in touch to tell us that story in detail? Joe did get back in touch. And we appreciate it. We do appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. But it's unbroadcastable. It's We can't broadcast it. I mean, we were going to choose a film a few weeks ago called Tetsuo the Iron Man. And I said no, because it gave me nightmares as a child. I, I His story bore some similarity to that film. Yeah, uh, sobering, sobering, sobering read, sobering read. But you know what? I did love. I loved his honesty. Yeah, no. Yeah, and you know if I mean. this podcast is about anything, it's about honesty. I'll move on to the next writing. We had a writing from a young man called Carl. He wrote hi, in to hi Carl. He wrote in to say I had the Danny Baker own goals and gaffs VHS. Do tell us what VHSs you had. Um, yeah, and he's glad that we didn't choose Slacker by Richard Linklater this week because in his words, I won't repeat it, five-letter words, he also said, another excellent episode is fast becoming my favourite pod. I think he means podcast. Pod. Yeah, that's short, so, for, short for podcast. Right. So we really appreciate these writings. And we had a writing from a young man called Rob who said mega exclamation yeah, I don't I mean yeah I don't think we have to read out every everything and and sometimes it, like you know with in Joe's case we just simply can't Lost of the land. I mean you're saying we don't read every writing that comes in 
each week. So Rob was Rob was um, reflecting on an image that I'd shared on our Instagram, and we don't have to go into that now. If you want to check no. that, uh, the Instagram is at Film Catch Up and uh, and do writing dot Instagram dot com, and it is um. Appreciate it. I think I was going to ask you a question. Would you say our listeners are a small audience or a dedicated audience? That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, well, Rob's very tall. I mean, in terms of the number of people. Oh. Um, and Carl, Carl listens to every episode. I know that yeah. for a fact. And, you know very shortly so this the episodes when we can they drop they get released at 6 a.m on a monday yeah and um i believe carl listens to them uh, um hours a minute a matter of hours after that would you say we have a small or dedicated audience yeah i'd say it's dedicated i'd, I'd say it's dedicated or say every every one of our what no matter what the size um uh, do you know what I would say? Go on. I'd say we have a small but dedicated audience. Mm, that's good. That's good. Okay, so yeah. do you want to do... Um, what do you want to do now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> should we do... Should we stick to the podcast and do... Um, <laughs> and do... Um, what would you do as the protagonist in this film? Yes. Okay. So I, I was thinking about this, um, and off you, you know what, what I like to do is you know, use my career now to fa- to to map the best journey for the protagonist, um, yeah. and I think it speaks to the bleak picture that um, River and. Van Sant paint of Mike that I don't I don't know what I don't know I don't know his way out I don't know his way out of his you know his his family of he doesn't want to have anything to do with his family his best friend has deserted him he's got this really nasty affliction in the narcolepsy yeah um I don't know what I, I don't know what's on offer to me as as um, as Mikey. I, I say Mikey. I don't know if anyone else has called him Mikey. Um, so you're saying you don't know what you would do as the protagonist? I've, I'd, well, I'd you know I try and get my is narcolepsy treatable? I don't know. I think we're writing checks. We can't cash. So I'd get my narcolepsy treated. Um. And then CBD, yeah, CBD oil, CBD oil. It's the new uh, snake oil. Yeah, see and turmeric, and turmeric. Yeah. Um. So I do that. 
Um, and then I'd, I'd I'd take it from there. What about your punk values? Um, yeah, I think the way I'd use my punk values would be to, once I'd sorted out my narcolepsy, I'd, I'd just I'd stick it to society, really. Yeah. Yeah. What about your company man values? Yeah, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm struggling. Because while I subscribe to being a company man, I struggle with sex work. Right. So you wouldn't um, you wouldn't try and climb the ladder? In the sex work industry? Yeah. I can't see that being anything other than morally suspect. Right. Which... We're going to have a lot of writings about that. What do you, what what do you mean? What what's morally suspect? Um, people who are high up in the sex work industry. I see. Ex- exploitative, mm. slightly maybe, yeah. potentially. Exactly. Yeah. So you wouldn't do anything, is what you're saying? You, you uh, really for that question? The only thing I think of is, uh, Mike, I've got, I've got the looks. I've got the heart. Yeah, I've got the looks, I've got the heart. I've got the sensitive soul. Yeah. I I just have to explore my options with with those tools in my belt. Would you say your upbringing is very similar to River Phoenix's upbringing? With him um, being, he was he had a nomadic, traveling, rootless lifestyle. Yeah, I lived in the same bungalow until I was eighteen. Yeah. So, probably not. Not not that similar in the end. Not that similar, no. Um, right. Different. Yeah. What would you do as one of the protagonists in this film, Chris? In this film? Mm-hmm. Um, you mean River? You can choose River, you can choose Kinu, you could choose Bob Pidgeon. Uh, I'm going to choose River because I feel some um, affinity with his travelling lifestyles. Of course, yeah. yeah. And that... Um, if I was him, yeah, I'd probably just I'd check out Shoshone Falls Park, um, go to the Craters of the Moon National Monument, Silverwood Theme Park, probably visit Old Idaho Penetry State, go to the Lava Hot Springs Foundation, the world-famous hot springs, or the Peregrine Falcon Funds World Center for Birds of Prey, probably go to the Perrin Memorial Bridge, or the Lake Coeur d'Alene. Or perhaps the the Boise River Greenbelt. Probably go to the Idaho Botanical Garden, or the Warhawk Air Museum, the Catherine Albertson Park, or the Seven Star. <laughs> this, this, this. 
the seven stars alpaca ranch. <laughs> and you... Does that mean there's only seven alpacas there? <laughs> What's it called? The seven. Please do write in, folks, if if anyone can Google the seven stars alpaca ranch in Idaho. I think and, uh, I think that's just a name, isn't it? I don't think I, I don't think I the do. seven stars are the, are the alpacas. Right, they're the stars I, of the stars of the show. Ranch. I think they are. I think they could be. But I yeah, I'd make a bit more of sometimes they say sometimes it's good to be a tourist in your own hometown. So Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And um so we're we're in, we're in 1991, Chris. Are we? In, in the our podcast. lives. Yeah. Um what were you doing at this point in your life? I would have been Nine. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Uh so uh let's see. Um I'm trying to think. There used to be a place in Muggle called TJ's Roller Rink. Okay. So now I think talking. I left Liverpool at twelve, so sometime between nine and twelve I was going I went to TJ's Roller Rink. Loved it. Yeah. Okay. Loved were you it. good on were you good on skates? Uh not not bad. I couldn't go backwards, but at the same time I never tried it and for a for a tallish person my balance isn't that bad, so I I'd I'd like to give that a go. Um I'm anti blades. I like skates. Mm, well that's interesting. That's Yeah. There's a there's a disconnect here, isn't there? I are you are you blades? Oh, am I blades? Just a bit, mate. Just just a bit what? Just a bit. I thought you said man. Just a bit man. <laughs> I said uh, just a bit, mate. Mate. Um, Bauer. Yeah, I, I don't like the outward motion you have to do with your legs. It's a bit bandy legged on the rollerblades. Bauer like, twos. Yeah, you want two rollerblades, don't you? You want my, one. That was my brand Bauer. Bauer F twos and the the blades that I had in my street sorry, hockey I thought, days. Sorry, I thought you said the power of twos. Twos. I was like, yeah, of course you need two. In my street hockey days, yeah. Right, and that's where your love of the mighty mighty ducks came from. Uh, vice vice versa, chicken and egg. Right. All right, I see, I see. Um, yeah, TJ's roller rink also had Mortal Kombat um, arcade machine. Ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah good times. I, I wouldn't I, have um, guessed that Mortal Kombat was uh, was around that early. I thought it was a bit later in the 90s, but... Should we have a look? I'd like yeah, to know. I mean, I could be wrong. I, I, I know I've got documentary evidence that I had... A Commodore 64. I think maybe Christmas 1990. I got a Commodore 64 for Christmas. Yeah. Um, so we're talking Bubble Bobble, Flimbo's Quest, um, another another world, Turrican. Did you also have a? Yeah, Commodore? my brother had one. Um, 
Dizzy Island, Monkey Dizzy Island. Island. Was yeah. Dizzy Island the same universe as Bubble Bobble? I don't know. What year are we on this week with the podcast? Should you should you really should know this, Chris? Going in, I'm sorry. It's it's been a really intense week. Go on. What no, year? Nineteen ninety one. But I, I don't want to have to remind you what year right. again. All right. Podcast. So, Mortal Kombat video game, nineteen ninety two. I'm a right, year okay. off. So okay. so next week I'm attending TJ's Roller Inc. Probably went there about five or six times, but it really made an impact on me. Like I, I really loved it, and mm. um, I think if I'd st- stuck around in Liverpool, I might have made something of it. M- made it big as a roller skater. Roller skater. I didn't want to say it, but you know, potentially mm. could have been the next. No, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any famous. Uh, could have been. Could have been the next. There's a Tony meme. Hawk. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could have been at the X Games right now. Um, on a warp tour. You could have been on a warp tour. Could have been drinking Red Bull. Could have been sponsored by Red Bull. Uh, so that was the thing, and then the other main thing. Is that, uh, have I mentioned Pleasure Island yet in Liverpool? No. I was friends with Chris Bibby, another good friend. I'd say him and Chris Rayal Smith were were, were people I'd like to get in touch with again. Was Um, it exclusively people called Chris that were in your... Yeah, yeah, actually, because the other one was Chris Hopkins... And Colin Entwistle, so go figure. Mm. Um, but yeah, Chris Bibby, he he had a Nez, not a Snez, but a Nez. Yeah, my brother had a Nez. So Duck Hunt, Mario, Super but again, Mario. I would contest whether a Nez was around as early as nineteen ninety one. Because really? well, I know in my family. It went Commodore 64, NES, SNES. And I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a good two years between the three. But, you know, a, a good two years between each. Okay. Right, so... Um, I mean, well, this the is, NES... This is, what, this is what this podcast the, is all about, isn't it? It's about nothing if it's not about um, the, chron- chronology. The NES came out in 1983. Hmm. Does that shock you? It does shock me, and it's making me question a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Yeah, go figure and question a lot of things. I mean, I, I'd say the SNES is imminent. If it's 1991 right now, I think the SNES is out or out in 92. So Chris Bibby, I wanted to say Chris Bibby had a NES, which was unusual because, you know, it might be like moving on to Mega Drive, SNES, but we used to play NES. It was great. So you're saying you were behind the times on your NES? You were sort of like retro guys? Yeah, we were. We were retro retro guys, yeah. On your 
roller skates, like because that's quite a, like a 60s, 70s thing, isn't it? Roller skating. I, I don't think Chris came to um, came to TJ's roller rink, but um, TJ's is one of the only hobbies I took up as a child that I enjoyed. I was I was um, a bit of a uh, hobby butterfly. Mm. So I said to my mum that I wanted to start doing rugby. So um, she she took me to Waterloo. Uh, her and my dad took me to Waterloo Rugby Club every Sunday uh, to play rugby. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know why I wanted to do it, but I'm not that way inclined. And I would just sit on the um, substitute bench every time. Um and and then I, I would I would take up hobbies like that for like mm. thinking that I was supposed to do that this or that. Um but mm-hmm. TJ's is the only one that was like, Oh I like I like roller skating. But even even now you're a uh polymath, aren't you? People describe you as as a polymath. Do they? Yeah. You've got your different disciplines that you're pursuing yeah I, I, I like to do a lot of things so maybe um, that's maybe that's the you know you you were sort of insinuating that being a hobby butterfly was a negative thing but yeah I think I just need to be learning all the time if I don't I think as humans if you stop learning you die. Mm-hmm. And this podcast is about nothing if it's not about if it's not about learning, isn't it? About us being held to account for things we've done in the past. Not not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So TJ's and then Chris Bibby, we played Nez a lot at his house, and then for his birthday we went to. Chris Bibby didn't have a lot. He didn't always have the best look. And like listeners who are from Liverpool will remember Pleasure Island. Um, do you know it, Sam? No. It was a th- indoor theme park, kind of like a precursor to soft play, but okay. not just. But not just soft play. It had many different things going on under one roof. And like, I don't um, know if... Indiana's Adventure in in Brid in Bridlington. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm remembering it wrong, but it's it, it, in my mind it seemed to take place under a mini Millennium Dome, a very small right. Millennium Dome that shape, wow. and like with like it, you know it's just a big canvas roof in a circle dome. Um, but he got he got he got beaten up really badly on his birthday in in, in Pleasure Island because of his look. He said something about his um, look. His bad luck, yeah. Like we were in a board. Oh, pool. sorry. When you said his look, I thought you meant his aesthetic. No, I mean his aesthetic was. Um, he's taller than I am. Uh, yeah, tall guy, skinny, and I think because he was tall, he used to get bullied a lot. Mm. He used to get picked on actually, and he was quite a sensitive guy. And um, we were playing in the ball pool, and. There was a couple of other boys in there, 
um, scallies, and it was all fun. And then it just flipped on a dime. Like Chris threw a ball at them, it hit the guy in the face. But we were all throwing balls at each other anyway. And then um, the guy, I've never seen before that, someone stamping on someone. But he beat him up really bad. Uh, And because it was in a ball pool... the damage wasn't as bad as it could, as it should have been, you know. Right, yeah. The, he was beat, the, beating the, him the up. The ball softened, softened the blow. Yeah, he was beating him up and, like, trying to stamp on him. But, but but you know, we're in a ball pool, so it was kind of helping. But he got really badly beaten up, and then uh, we went to see Chris's mum, and then the staff were involved, and they were trying to find this boy and stuff. Um, but But, like, this also... The other memory I have is with my older brother, Mike. And um, we used to play in a park near our house. I think it was Moorside Park. And um, I've written a poem about this. Uh, Maybe I won't read it out this time, but... um, Why not? Okay, I can if you want. Didn't want it to be really long. Um, But basically... um, I was playing on a climbing frame and three or three, four of the boys came over and started climbing on the climbing frame I was on and they said, this is our climbing frame. And then I got off and I went over and told my brother, which I didn't need to do. I really didn't. Um, They hadn't, it wasn't anything big. And then he went over to them and then it escalated and they all started beating up my brother up and my brother stood his ground and took on like four kids and he got his like hair pulled out and um, glasses broken and I ran home while he was getting beaten up. And is that something that you think about a lot or have you thought about that? whilst trying to think of things that happened in 1991 for this podcast. Oh, wrote wrote a, yeah, you wrote a poem, so you must have... You must yeah, have it's, on my, it's on my list of things to bring up, and I wasn't going to bring it up today, but because I started talking about Pleasure Island. Um, and uh, that kind of sums me up, really. I don't know. It doesn't... I'm not... No. Kind of, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't think that's true, Chris. Yeah, I beat myself up about it, about it sometimes, about my strength of... Or lack of character, you know. Uh, but but I did run, yeah. But these days, if there's louts on a bus, you'll you'll confront them, won't you? That's something that I always <sighs> say about. I don't you. know. You do. I, you I, confront I, the louts. You do. You confront the louts. Yeah, may, maybe. I, I would stand up for someone if mm. I was with Emma and 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 and. I would, I would, and we, and she was getting picked on or anything. Of course, I would stand up, but, but I've, I've certainly went through a phase in my twenties of experimenting with confrontation a little bit and being a bit of an angry young man. And, but I found that never went the way I thought it would go. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I, I don't like those sorts of. Uh, situations 
but I think I think I'm quite calm calm these days, basically, if those sorts of things happen. But anyway, um, we we eventually I got home. Eventually, Mike came home, and my mum called Uncle Frank, and Uncle Frank came round in the van and spent an hour. Mike, him, and Mike got in the van, drove around Crosby for an hour looking for these kids. To to find them? No. Okay. Probably probably Um, for the best. So, so in from my mum's perspective, it was find the kids, find who their parents are, make them pay for the glasses that they've broken, Mm. and say sorry for the beating up. And but probably, I think if Uncle Frank had got hold of them, cement boots. (laughs) Cement. (laughs) Cement boots. So he wouldn't have gone as far as cement boots. I've got, I've kind of got a picture of Uncle Frank as a, you know, a, a cement of God, c- cement boots. Yeah, cement boots is a god like a gangster reference, right? Killing them. Yeah. He was a crooner. Uncle Frank was a crooner. You wouldn't want to cross him. He was a captain of industry. Mm. Um, not a man you want to cross. No, there there was an element of gangster gangsterism to Uncle Frank, but he like of course he was not a gangster in any shape or form. But of course he's not. so, of course not. But he's someone who came from, uh, for want of a better word, the gutter, and um, through force of will, he 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 rose to something and that wasn't always pretty mm-hmm. how he got there i think i think my mum's phrase was um a good night out for uncle frank back in the day was a drink and a fight okay um but obviously we never saw that side no um yeah sometimes you got to do what you got to do yeah, for for him there was there was there were no options available to him. Um, he was the son of an alcoholic, docker, uh, an extreme alcoholic, and um, he 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 um, yeah, you know, he didn't have the education, and mm. uh, but he's but a very clever guy, and um, what a voice, and, and a voice, so he. Um, he 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 got through how he he got there. He got to where he wanted to be through force of will. To be honest, and raised uh, two fine young men, or you know, helped had a hand in raising the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not 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 our. Definitely not our. Um... Primary caregiver. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to lead you to believe that. But um, but yeah, but yeah, violence, violence is um. Just seeing Will Smith really slap Chris Rock, it was a horrible thing, wasn't it? Yeah, for for a number of a number of reasons, really. Yeah. Really bizarre, and strange. Yeah, but um. I guess I guess uh, 
yeah, I've, I guess I've always been scared of it, scared of violence. <clears throat> mm. Me too. Yeah. We've got we've gone full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry to bring it down. No, no, it's good. It's good. You know, I, mm. I, it was quite a flippant question at the, at the top of the episode mm. about your fears, and then um, you've done a good job of uh, circling back. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can tell you about the spy file. Spy file that I bought. This is 1991 in the bungalow, Brands Burton. So we have... Whoa, 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 whoa. 1991, Brands mm-hmm. Burton, living in the bungalow with... Mm-hmm. Uh, my mum, my dad. Gen- Jennifer and Peter. Peter. Brother is... James. Climbing the ladder, as you said last week, of Brands Burton Primary, making your way... Head. Making my way, yeah. Making your way, a couple of setbacks with the um, Neville fainting, fainting and you having the the breakdown about it, mm-hmm. and then an irrational fear, a pathological fear of Sid Little from Little and Large, who's still alive. Both both Little and Large are still alive, yeah. Both, uh, no, Sid Little's the only one still alive. In nineteen ninety one. Okay. 91, both alive. Pathological fear of little and large and a fear of fainting and you still haven't fainted to this day. In 2023. 2023. I'm just setting the scene here. Shoot. So we, so we'd get, um, we didn't have a permanent library at our school. So we'd get a, I guess some sort of organisation would come in and sell books on site. You'd have in, your in Where's Wallies. In a, in a, in a bus? Um, they'd sort of decamp in the, um, in, in actually in the same hall where Neville fainted. Travellers? Uh, I don't know if they were, tra- they were just sort of like ed- educational booksellers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I bought a spy file. You familiar with the spy file? Oh my god, I think I know it. Go on. So file of faxes were very um Yes. Yeah. File of faxes were very popular in the in the nineties. Um, and and they had a, you had a file of fax or a spy file. I'm pretty sure it's a spy file. So a spy file you'd you'd fill in your spy details, you'd set your spy missions, um it was really a, it was the it was the start of something for me. The spy, the spy file. Like, I'll talk in future weeks about the Sam gang. Yeah, uh, Sam. I it, Sam, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm gonna have to stop you there. The spy well, file is on the internet. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm looking at the exact one that I had. Brown. Cover. You had the brown one, spy file. I had the. I'm looking at the photo. Mine was a white one called Fun Facts. Right. Okay. And that was um, the same company. 
I may have had a fun fax as well before before I got the spy file. Right, okay. Spy file was made by a company called Fun Facts. You had the brown spy file. I had a I white did, one. Sorry, called... I did have the fun facts. I did have the fun facts. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. The, Graph well, paper background. Well, fun facts is the, the company. What, what we had is called the organizer system. Right. The white one. Yeah. Did, did you have a spy file as well? I had a spy file. The spy file was my favorite of the fun facts franchise. Um, so, the most important well, one. Not, it's not a franchise. It's not a franchise. It's not, it's not, it's not bought by other people who make their own spy files and sell them. The fun facts series. Series. So would you say you're a voyeur? Um, no, you, you, no, you know, certain peeping, peeping Tom, certain, um, certain codes need to be upheld. Certain information, intelligence needs to be kept close and needs to be found out from other gang gangs or nations. Um, were you, were you ever in deep cover in at Brandsburton Primary? Well, I, I don't know if I can. I don't really know if I can say that. Say the the, the Ministry of Secrets Act, nineteen seventy two. So yeah, I'll pro- I'll leave it there with the spy file. Um, I'll I'll we'll come to the Sam Gang in later weeks. Um, nineteen ninety one class three, Mister Johnson's class. Mister um, Johnson was my favorite teacher. Is a Divisive character, glasses, mustache, often wore shorts. Played a guitar with Mr. Walker from Leaven, from the school that he'd come from, the Leaven School. Um, used to hold donut eating competitions. Renegade. Uh, yeah, he played by his own rules. He was Michelle Pfeiffer. He was um, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Dead Poets he was Society. Mr. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper. Um, yeah, a, a inspirational man. Mr. Johnson means what he says, and then everyone would say. So if you you say what he says, when I say what he says, go on. Okay, we'll, tr- we'll try that now. Mr. Johnson means what he says. What he says. Yeah, but yeah, we'd we'd do it together. I, sorry, I didn't get what I was meant to do. No, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, we can't read. It's lightning in the bottle. I <laughs> I don't think the the listeners are going to get either what you meant. So the class would so Mr. Johnson would say Mr. Johnson means it's a call and response. Right. Go on then. And the class would say Go on. What he says. Go on. So, Go on. Mr. Johnson means what he says. What he says. Mm. I did it properly then and then you said Yeah, it no, it's good. It's good. Yeah. I like to say sometimes to Emma I say what I mean and I mean what I say. Right, okay. That sounds quite sort of what in what in what uh, context do you say that? She'll say do you want a cup of tea? I'll say yeah, chamomile. And she'll say, Oh, do you want a ginger and pardon? She'll question your choice. She'll say, Do you want lemon and ginger? I go, No. She got. Oh, do you want do you want uh, a rue voice? 
I say, no, I just said I wanted a chamomile. I say what I mean and I mean what I say. I don't ever say these days, I don't ever say the opposite of what I want or I don't skirt around. I, I want chamomile. And is this, is this an attitude that you got from Uncle Frank, do you think, in some ways? No, I'd see it more as just like, life is short. Yeah, but maybe, maybe... There's no yeah, time for... But sometimes your your first answer isn't necessary. You know, sometimes you need more thinking time. You Not don't need shaking your head. You're saying you never need more thinking time. Nope. Your first answer is always the right answer. It's it's from the gut. It's from the it's from yeah. Well, from the gut doesn't mean you know. Sometimes from the head is better. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes from the head is better. So this Mr. Johnson played guitar. He had donut eating competitions. Mm-hmm. Did he get but ever get fired? Not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. No, no. Um, I once drew a self portrait, and he said, "Sam, can I see you after class?" I said, "Yeah," and he said, "This is really good." You are a, a, a really good cartoonist. Still are. I think I captured my um, Scandinavian heritage mm. and my simian energy. Monkey? Mm. You're not feeling my simian energy? Just expand on that a little bit. Um, later in life, I'd get the nickname Monkey Butt. Adam, ba- Adam Batsford uh, gave me the nickname right. Monkey Butt. Why do you which... call you... What, what's the butt bit all about? Um, I think he just thought it sounded good. He had a a flair for the lyrical. Yeah, it's poetic, isn't it? Mm. The, the one syllable after the monkey, Monkey Butt. Adam Batsford would also regularly say to me, how do you know I'm not a robot? Yeah. That's um ha- mean. Deadly serious. Deadly serious. How not do you know many I'm not people. a robot? Yeah, he just had a way of effing with you. Hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, most certainly, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's later. That's monkey butts later. Simian energy consistent. Spy file, Mr. Johnson, monkey butt. How do you know I'm not a robot? Mm-hmm. A lot the, going on. That's the synopsis. Cartoonist dreams beginning to take hold. Spy. Spying on people. Bit of a voyeur, would you say? You keep saying that, but... You like to watch? N- no, it's... It's more like gathering, gathering information, really. Mm. Spy holes. So should station. we go on to? Should we go on to nineteen ninety two? And yeah, uh, but, but there weren't. You didn't have any traumatic fainting stuff or anything. Or, no, um, no, 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 no. Little no. and large. No, no. I should try and dig deeper for trauma. I think that would. That would be good, wouldn't it? Um, 
don't, you don't have to. But yeah, it's... I can't. Nothing's coming to mind at the moment. Yeah. Good. What have you got for us? Okay. Next week, the year will be 1992. What a year. Mortal Kombat about to be released on the video game, arcade game market. I've narrowed it down to three films that are available. Mm. Yeah? Okay. We didn't do my ratings, but with the I can let it go this week. Good. I will say, for this film, I'll give it 9.5 out of 10. Wow, that's high indeed, isn't it? Because it's like Repo Man, in that mm. I want to watch it again. Because it's full of stuff. Yes, yeah, and I wanted to say this as well. You made a flippant comment last week saying you can rent it for £3.49. Or you can buy it for £3.99. Yeah. And you said, oh, I wouldn't want to buy it because I'd get the physical copy. And I've been thinking about that a lot since because I wish I had bought it so I can watch it again and again. Uh, even the, uh, yeah, why didn't we just pay three ninety nine? Then we'd have it on the, I wouldn't have to worry about the 48-hour rental. Yeah. Doofus. Well, you know, it's another it's another learning curve, isn't it? And you, yeah. you always want to learn something that you... I do. You've said. I do. I'll perish. Um, right. Next week, three films. Uh, first film. Right. I want to. I want to go into Asia. Um, I got. I've got itchy feet. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Got really itchy feet on this one. Like, I. I do like um, Hong Kong films, mm-hmm. um, and stuff. Um, and I want to watch some Chinese films and, well, anywhere in Asia, really. First film is called Rebels of the Neon God from Taiwan. Directed by King Xiao, Qing, King Xiao Nian Niuza. Synopsis. Defying his parents, Sao Tang drops out of school to head for the bright lights of downtown Taipei. He falls in with Adzi, a pretty hood, and their relationship becomes a confused mixture of hero worship and rivalry that soon leads to trouble. Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. Still on Shakespeare. Potentially. 8.1 movie. 8.1 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Number two, China. The story of Kui Ju. A pregnant peasant woman seeks redress from the Chinese bureaucracy after the village chief kicks her husband in the groin in this comedy of justice. What what um, nationality is that one? China, directed by Zhang Zhimou, famous Chinese director. Seven point eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. Chinese. Number three, Orlando, directed by Sally Potter. UK and Russia. 
it's for it's UK director, but set in UK and Russia, I guess, co-production of some sort. Synopsis, starring Tilda Swinton. Synopsis, young aristocrat Orlando begins a quest for love and freedom in the court of Elizabeth I as a man. He is granted favours and property by the Queen, who commands the nobleman to never change. Orlando completes the search 400 years later as a woman, shaking off their biological and cultural destiny. 8.1 on Mubi. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So we've got three. We've got two two Asian cinema and we've got one European cinema. Romeo and Juliet, groin comedy, <laughs> and the, the one that you just mentioned that I haven't made a note of. I'll just put UK and Russia. Orlando. Mm. The one that tickled my taste buds so to speak, would be the Rebels of the Neon God. Oh, really? Mm. Wow. The 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 second one smacked of a farce. Sounded like it was going to be a farce, and I'm dead. I'm dead against farces. Um, and the other one, the, the Orlando. I, I didn't understand it. I think basically what it is, is in one time frame, they're a man. Then they, I don't know what happens. And then 400 years later, they're a woman in a different time period. It's meant to be, I've heard, I've heard about it from someone I used to work with. Okay. Yeah. Personal recommendation. I've got a personal recommendation on that one. Well, that sounds good. I like personal recommendations. So what one would you go for? Rebels of the Neon God. Romeo and yeah. Juliet. I think for me it's be- between that and Orlando. Okay, yeah. I don't think... I just feel from watching the trailers that Rebels of the Neon God's not going to hit the emotional notes. And I also think it'll be a bit of an easy watch and a bit of a, and I get, I get a, a slight m- mediocreness from it. Okay, yeah, mediocre. Whereas, yeah, like ever so slight. But when I watch the trailer of Orlando, it's like a visual tour de force. Mm-hmm. And from some of the reviews on movie, it's got some funny stuff as well in it. And also, I feel like Rebels of the Neon God would be an easy watch. Whereas Orlando, it's not something I'm going to naturally pick. Like, it's on my list of things I want to watch, but I'm never going to get to the day where I sit down and go, oh, I'm going to watch Orlando. Good. I like your uh, You see where I'm going? Yeah. See where I'm going? And this podcast is about challenging ourselves. And being held to account for our previous actions. Learning. And learning. So from talking it through with you, go on. And it's also about chronology. Yeah. 
So I think I am going to go for Orlando. And I want to like Tilda Swinton more. Okay, that's Be- interesting. Because I, I come at her from big films that she's done now that she's a star. And she's got she's tarred with the Meryl Streep, Olivia Coleman brush in that everything they touch turns to gold and they can't put a foot wrong. And I saw Tilda in a film called Okja, which I really disliked. Really didn't like okay. that film. Written by someone I've got a personal beef with. Who's the other cut price Louis through? John Ronson. Yeah. I'll go into that when we get to 2019. Um, I've seen Swinton in a film recently and she's got big teeth in the film. Does that ring any bells with you? And I can't, I'm no, trying, to, no, no, trying no. to find out where it is. But she was very good and very funny in that. But I, I'm a sucker for fought big false teeth. You like that? I think that's comedy gold, yeah. John Cairns, Tony Erdman. Yeah. Vic Reeves was a big Vic Reeves. Um so let's go for Orlando. Um uh, yeah, I wanna like Tilda Moore and I guess watching stuff from her earlier career is when she was really you know, going cutting the mustard and doing edgy stuff, so it'd be good to see some of that. Um so that's it. Cool. How how do you want to end? Um, I was just going to say this podcast is about nothing if 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 not this this podcast is about nothing I don't believe you I don't believe you what do you mean I don't believe that viewpoint. And plus, you're not going to be able to... I thought you wanted to link these um, phrases to the films. That's true. That's true. Have you got a better suggestion? If you want to link it to the film, you've got something along the lines of we're not in Kansas anymore. Um, A barn falling from the sky. Do it feel like... Either of those really capture the episode. Two on the nose. Is that, did is you that want, your third did suggestion? You, did you want me to read the poem? Oh, yeah. Yeah, go on, read the poem, and I'll see if I can. And then you might have an idea. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is called Ghosts. This is ours... It's not yours, is all they said. Words carved in stone in any child's life. Hurt wasn't conjured, and the body doesn't tremble, crumple. A larynx doesn't close. They hadn't cut with a father's slurs. Words so numbing that quivering becomes the only sign a body retains life. If speech, locked in a lead box, attempted 
only a whimper comes when it realizes in the roof of a mouth full the lips were paralyzed all along so in a playground near home by empty houses they didn't know good and contented souls hid behind cracked windows he retained speech for his brother those boys told me to get off the frame words escape mist from a shroud but realize fool they're crowned already confidence this dare surprise guilt as brother approaches these visitants and then brother's words a question adorned already their response ferocity hidden before he stands and fights i did run brilliant that's an yeah, that's, that's a beautiful poem um i i was really i was sort of concentrating on the poem so i haven't thought of another another one but that's okay i did it in post <laughs> 